God, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for a chance just to come together uh, together as uh, people along the way, people kind of going through life on this journey and, and seeking and searching. And Lord, some of us uh, know it, some of us don't. But Lord, that, that uh, in this time, in this place, we get to come as we are. And Lord, we get to come together uh, alongside people that are the same and different than us, and Lord, uh, and that we are better for it, and Lord, more importantly, we get to come before you and under your word, and Lord, be transformed as your Holy Spirit comes and illuminates our understanding and, and, and transforms our will more into yours and helps our lives become more to your likeness. So God, I pray right now that this uh, today and this time of, of coming to your word, that it will be a time that uh, each of us, Lord, uh, encounter your truth and are called to this this, this joy of surrender and obedience, and Lord, we would, we would take on more of Christ, and, and maybe even responding to Christ for the first time, and surrender and belief and salvation, and Lord, that, and as a result, as a people called together as this local congregation at the bridge, that we would be unified, Lord, unified in love and spirit and truth and purpose, all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 4 if you have one. We'll have verses up on the screen as well. Uh, if you use the YouVersion Bible app, you can click Events, which is under the More tab at the bottom right. We'll pop up. You can click on us. The, the passages are there as well, as well as maybe some questions to help you reflect further, as well as some to, things to help you remember all the announcements you'll hear today. Um, but uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love for you to take one of these around you on the floor. Uh, that's our gift to you. Uh, feel free to use it. So Romans 4, we're, we're going to look at just a few verses today, uh, verses 9 through 12. But before we get there, I want to take a moment to remember kind of where we are in Paul's development of thought. As this, this book of Romans, as we call it, is a letter, a pastoral letter from Paul to the church in Rome. And so as, I, as we said last week, he started off kind of laying out our need for salvation. Now he's transitioned into our way to salvation and, and just kind of summing it up in Romans 3, 21 through 25, which we looked at right before Thanksgiving. It says this, Romans 3, 21 through 25, as we are thinking about our way to salvation. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a substitute by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. So he lays this out there, he, he's, he's calling them, to, inviting them into this way of salvation, and they kind of, he throws, out, he throws out this common response, and they say, well, what about our hero, our father of faith, Abraham? How was he justified? And, and Paul goes straight back to their known passages, their, the, to Genesis 15, 6, and he says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And when we say righteousness, we're talking about right standing before God. We're talking about being made whole, being restored. We're talking about salvation. And so, so he says it's by faith, actually. Abraham was saved by faith in God. It says he believed God, and it was counted to him. He was credited the righteousness, the right standing, and he believed that God, and he, he believed God, and he was saved. He was justified by the future Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So then Paul brings it home in that passage last week with David's own words, another hero of their faith, the greatest king they knew. And he quoted David directly out of Psalm 32, 1 and 2. And David says this, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And if this is familiar language, that is great news. If it's not familiar language, it just sounds probably like a bunch of jargon. But what it's saying is this, the blessing of God is not attained by good works in which you're given credit for, but in the reality that God in Christ has removed their guilt and whose sin is not counted against them. So it's not that they've had something added to their account, but they, have, but they are righteous because in their faith, their guilt has been removed. So today, as we, kind of, as we go through these next few verses, we'll see this common motif in New Testament teaching. It's this, this idea that we see that in this blessing, as, as we just refer to here in, in David's writing a psalm, in this blessing, we have a promise and we have a purpose. If you were with us last year, two, two years ago, when we talked through the Sermon on the Mount, we started with the Beatitudes, the first, the first part of that Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, it was that form. It was, it was promise and purpose, promise and responsibility. So we see that carried forward here again, once again. So today we're going to see in this blessing, there's a promise and there's a, a purpose. And so it is this blessed position that, that Paul referenced to in David that, that is in view as we move into our text today. So that kind of helps us have momentum, right? It helps us have our footing. So he's responding to this blessing, and he kind of, he, he knows, again, he knows the mind of his reader, of his audience, and he's, he's speaking what they're thinking. And so this question that he starts with in verse 9 picks up right there with that thought of this blessing of having, of not having your sins held against you. So let's read all of this together right now, verses 9 through 12, and then we'll work through it. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? So in essence, what they're asking, is it for the Jew only or for, for people that aren't as well? Because again, in this time, there's two categories. There's the Jew and the Gentile, the people of Israel and everyone else. That is really the only two categories in this frame of reference that we know of and so that, 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 that they would know of. So is it only for the Jew, or is it for everyone? Is it for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, as he's either calling back to what we just talked. How then was it counted to him? So now they want to know some technicality. Was it before or after he had been circumcised? And then the response, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to him as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Okay, so what are we, what's happening here? Because like after a while, all you hear is the word circumcised because you're just not used to hearing it that much and you're saying it so much. So let's focus in on what Paul is trying to call us to in this beautiful promise. So there's a question that comes up. They say, who is the blessing for then? Who is this for? Is it, is it for the Jew only or for, or for you know, or the Gentiles as well? You see, you see that in what they said in verse 9? And so they say, okay, so if you say, if you say that righteousness was counted to Abraham by faith, was it before or after he was circumcised? Was it, was it before the ritual or was it after the ritual? That's in verse 10. And Paul, in the latter half of verse 10, is, is very direct and succinct with his answer. And he says, he says no, it was, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. It was before the ritual. We can't say exactly how much time had passed from Genesis 15 to Genesis 17 when we see um, 
you know, this, this attributed this, this righteousness by faith for Abraham to 17 where he takes on circumcision. But we know that it's somewhere around 14 years, around that 75, the age of 75 to the age of 99. So a significant amount of time had passed that, that Abraham was deemed righteous before God because of his faith. He's justified. He was saved. So Paul's clear. He says the ritual, this is what the ritual didn't do. He says the ritual, the outward adherence did not justify Abraham. So what did the ritual do? Paul starts with referencing Genesis 17 in verses, verses, uh, in verse 11. It's uh, Genesis 17, 10 and 11. It says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So he goes back to this original charge of why they did it when it was instituted, and Abraham took it on. And then it says why. So Paul says in verse 11, he says that circumcision was given. He said it was given as what? A seal and a sign of the righteousness that he had been credited to him by faith, by believing in God. So this, this outward act was a seal and a sign of something that had occurred in him. So maybe I can illustrate it by something I think most of us would be familiar with. So I had the privilege of going to, an a, to the A&M Auburn game this year uh, with Henry. And uh, I sat in the Auburn section at Kyle Field, which was really fun. But just a backstory: I grew up in Georgia. Um, and, and now SEC, you know, now A&M is part of the SEC, but they weren't then. I, had, I honestly had never heard of Texas A&M until 2004 when I worked at a church in Florida with a guy that went to A&M. And he's like, he's like Heath, bro, man, you got you to gotta watch this halftime show. And, and I, he's like, you know, this thing and that. And I'm like, I don't whoop and stuff. And I just don't, I don't know what he's doing. And he turns on, he puts on this VHS. And yes, it was a VHS. And it's this A&M halftime show. And he is just geeking out. And I mean, like, I was watching it on a tube TV. And like, you know, it wasn't, I was like, okay, that's cool. But he, he had... He had the, the, the same energy level as every other A&M alum I've ever met when they talk about A&M football and apparently band. Um, and so it, it was this, that was my introduction, 2004. And by the way, I, if you're going to go to an A&M game, especially if you didn't go to A&M, I encourage you to sit in the visitor section. It is hilarious. Because you just sit there and you get in like, I, I've been to a few games now, so it's really fun to sit there and listen to the commentary, especially like good Deep South Auburn fans. And they're, <laughs> again, it's just hilarious. So if you're going to go to a game, try to sit in the visitor section when they're playing a good Deep South team. It's hilarious to hear the commentary. But so what's my point? My point is this. See, my point is the process, right? So a student applies to schools. The student gets accepted to A&M. The student enrolls at A&M. At that point, that student is A&M. They're an A&M student. They go, is it called Fish Week? Fish Fish, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of things that Mills gets convicted about, and that's one of them. So um, I knew, I, you know, if I knew it was going to come from anywhere. I could depend on you. So, um, but, you know, it begins with fish camp. You're, you're, you're enrolled, you're a student, and, man, you get on campus. You're full on an A&M student, but at that moment, all of a sudden, now you're starting to be, you, the whole fish camp's about learning the cheers and the chants and the signals. But, but you go through this whole process of, like, taking on the rituals of what it is to be an Aggie student, to be an Aggie. And apparently, I just learned this year for the first time that every 
Friday night before a home game, they have this is it midnight yell practice. See, I learned a lot, see. They, they have midnight yell practice so that they can, can make sure the whole stadium gets it. If you're coming to the game tomorrow, make sure if you don't know, you come to this so that you can represent with us. You can look like an Aggie. We can all have this, this, this one thing of what we are. So all the motions, noises, and words, they don't make them a student at A&M. They are a student when they get accepted and they enroll and they pay their tuition. So all of this is just evidencing that they are an Aggie. And man, are they. So, and I, I have Aggie family, and I love A&M. And so, just to be clear, and so the point, the point is all of the ritual is only an evidence to, to something they already were. And that is what Paul is saying, is this circumcision is only an external evidence of an internal reality. I like how Sam Storms put it. He said, it, this, this, this act, it pointed to, illustrated, confirmed, and guaranteed in an external and physical way what God had done in an internal and spiritual way. So for us in the new covenant, as we think about what kind of what takes the space with us, we have baptism. We have baptism. It's this outward expression of a work that God has done in us. It's a testimony. We believe, like we practice believers' baptism here. It's, it's, it's really like one of your first acts of obedience as well as your first, one of your first epi- opportunities to share your testimony. And I will say, uh, if in your recent journey you come to know Christ and you you want to talk more about baptism or you know that you want to be baptized, let us know. We would love to walk alongside you with that. Um, and if you have any questions about baptism in general, um, please feel free to ask uh, me or any of the other elders or your small group leaders, uh, whatever. It's a great, again, it is a joyous celebration and it is a beautiful testimony. And it's also a commissioning. Again, we, we can talk more about that. But the baptism itself is not a saving work. It's a testimony of a work completed in Christ. Paul showed us this equivalence in referencing them in the same thought of, of, of circumcision and baptism in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So whether it be circumcision or, or baptism, we see that they were given as an evidence of work that had been done by Jesus Christ. So here's the promise we have here. The promise is this. We are, when it comes to our salvation, we are invited to rest in the completed work of Christ. We are invited to rest in the completed work of Christ. Philippians 3, 7-9, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, not having a righteousness that I, that I accrued on my own outward acts that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So when we think about resting in the completed work of Christ, when do you rest? You rest when the work is complete. That's when you rest. You rest when the job is done. So what we see, this great promise, is that our our salvation, our redemption, is complete in Christ. 
us being restored to wholeness, us being returned to, to, to again, like fully being able to live out God's image as we are able to in this world, again, is complete in Christ. Because see, it is, it is the fact that in our faith, we are credited the righteousness of Jesus and the wrath due you and me has been placed on Him, on Jesus. So the price has been satisfied and your standing before God is secure. So that's how we can say the work is complete. So first off, just let the grace of God in Christ wash over you. Let it wash over you and you rest. Rest in that work. Let your confidence and courage come from that reality. I remember when my dad, when this hit my dad, this epiphany moment of this reality, he's in the, and I love it because like he just put it in only the way that my dad would. He's like, Heath, I'm going to tell you, son. Like I just I just had an epiphany. I was like, what is it, Dad? And he's like, I'm I'm bulletproof. I'm bullet. And I really thought he might have meant it for a minute. Because like if you know my dad, like he might have meant it. And so then he, he unpacks it, and this is what he's talking about. He's like, I'm secure. I'm bulletproof. Nothing in this temporal world really matters when it comes down to it because I am eternally secure. I it's not mine to hold on to anymore. And so there's such a that, that is, I mean, just the beauty of that promise. Let it sink in. Rest in the completed work of Christ in your salvation. And that is the only way for us to know peace, for us to know this salvation. And, and to take a short moment, we alluded to this last week, but it's worth spending some time on today again. We talked about two words last week, um, justification and sanctification. And again, I just think it's important for us to really kind of let these, these two words um, come into clear understanding for us and so we'll probably hit these a lot as we continue to go through Romans but when we think about justification it's a momentary complete work that happens in that moment that we come to believe and trust God that we that we surrender and confess that we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and we confess with our mouth that he is raised from the dead that we are saved so in that moment of of surrender and confession and belief we are taken from being sinners to saints. We are taken from being outlaws to now innocent. We were guilty, now we're innocent. Again, we're taken from, from, from rebels to sons and daughters, from orphans to adopted. Again, like th this, is, this is the moment of salvation. It is complete. That is our standing before God. It's as if we were before the judge, we were once going to be guilty. Now we are innocent because of given being given the righteousness of his son, Jesus. So that's justification. It is, it is complete the moment of belief in Christ. And in that moment, all is made new. The old is gone, the new has come. And then we move into sanctification. And this is, a little, this is interesting because it is instantaneous as well as continuing. It's the, it is the complete but being completed. It is the idea that in that moment of belief and salvation, we are fully set apart as sinners made saints for God's holy purpose. We have, a, again, all things new, including our identity, including our purpose in life, including our motives, including whose will we belong to. Again, in that moment, all of that changes, but then in that moment, we also begin this process of being made more like Christ, the work of being sanctified. And that's where we, 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 we pursue 
the, the heart and truth of God and we take off the old and put on the new. It's the process of putting on Christ, putting on Christ, taking off the old self, putting on Christ. And so it's this, this complete and continuing work. It's like what we hear in Philippians 1.6, being confident in this, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it unto completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that is such a comforting thing because we know we're not perfect. We know that, we, that we, we still sin. We know that we still grapple with flesh. We know that we are still selfish. We're still mindless. We're still, we're still all about us way too often. And so, praise God, in His grace, our salvation is secure. And in His grace, we get to resurrender every day. And in His grace, we get to say, Oh, Lord, forgive me. Thank you that in, in this moment of my sin, your grace is actually all the more beautiful and apparent. Restore me. Let me walk with you renewed again. And so these two important words as we move forward thinking about this promise, the justification, our right standing before God through Christ, and sanctification that we are, we are set apart for his purpose and being made more like him. So I want us to anchor in on those. There's a great comfort to this teaching. So our salvation is not due to our works, whether it be the rituals like circumcision or baptism, or just the markers of an obedient life to the truth and will and command of God. Yes, we are called to those, but they are not our means of salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We often want to either require of ourselves or, or others a work of sanctification before, before someone's encountered Christ. Or we, we often want to require of ourselves or others that we maintain a certain behavior in order to feel secure in our salvation in Christ. So here, and this is really fun as we continue, because here like Paul has lit this fuse on the bomb that will destroy this notion that we somehow secure and sustain our own salvation and redemption by works. So we get to watch this fuse burn, and, 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 and it's just going to obliterate this notion, hopefully, for us, because that's where freedom is. And that's why we're called the bridge. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's why we're called the bridge. This, this picture of the bridge is that, yes, we, build, we are intentional with our lives to build bridges to a world that Jesus says, As I am sent, I am sending you. We live sent lives every day by, by crossing over lines that, that typically we shy away from, stepping into discomfort, stepping into lives, taking risks. We build bridges to that, but then we not only build the bridge and say, come over here, it's good over here. We cross the bridge, come alongside people, invite them into life. And as we are shoulder to shoulder sharing life, I'm pursuing Jesus. And in the metaphor, I'm walking back across the bridge that was built. And as they just share life with me, they actually get to encounter the transforming truth of Jesus. I don't, I don't say change some. That's your told across the bridge, and as soon as, you have, as soon as you have acquired enough of the right behavior or shed off enough of the things that, that make me uncomfortable, you can come. We say, hey, I'm entering in, and I'm with you, and I'm being transformed by Jesus, and I invite you just to, just to hey, you know, catch, catch some of Jesus as I'm pursuing him and let him do the transforming work. We, you know, that's the idea. That's, that's our mission statement. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. And don't make the mistake of thinking that mission statement is just for those that are a part of the bridge. Like that's our, that's our statement of life to all those God has given us to share influence with and share space with. So we see this heart as Paul lays out what the purpose of the ritual was. That was what was achieved by the circumcision. 
So as we look at what was achieved and we think about this picture, let's, let's look at the latter half of verse 11 and to the beginning of verse 12. Paul lays it out. He says, The purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That's the Gentiles. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, the Jews. So, in other words, to make salvation available to all. He allows Abraham to be the father of faith for all people, not just the insiders. See, we see here, as we look at it, the Gentiles can be redeemed. They have access. They have been shown the way because Abraham was justified by faith before these ritualistic acts. So we see this, this door is open to the Gentiles. And to, he also showed that through being obedient, we can show that the, the, the true redemption for those who have lived by the law, as, we, as they did and as we pursue to live obedient lives, is still achieved by faith. So here's the key. The key is this. Our salvation is by faith. But our life of obedience is a sign and a seal, just like circumcision, of our justification that has been achieved by faith. Jesus. So we've been given this promise that we said a second ago. We've been given this promise that we are invited to rest in the completed work of Christ in your salvation. But at the same time, we see that our obedience serves a purpose. It is a sign of the internal change that has occurred. So therefore, our purpose is this. The purpose is that we are to work while resting in the completed work of Christ. I think that qualifies as a wordplay. I like it. We are to work while resting in the completed work of Christ. Last week, we pointed out the words of, of uh, author and pastor Bill Hull. He said, God is not against effort. He is against earning. Earning denies and defies grace. Our salvation is through believing, not achieving. But our lives are not our own. Just like Abraham Our blessing is meant to be a blessing to others. This was always the case. It wasn't like God started with this internal blessing that he said, oh, wait, there's more people in this world and i got to let them in. This is the first time the covenants proclaimed in Genesis 12 to see that it was always about all the nations. He says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He is meant to be a blessing to all. And, And we see through the other expressions of the covenant that it extends to all the nations. Abraham was always blessed in order that all would be blessed. So we can't miss that Abraham evidenced his faith long before he was circumcised. It wasn't like it was just a grace period. He still evidenced that he believed God. He still evidenced that he trusted God, as we talked about last week, that, that, the, that the will and direction of his life was determined by God's desire for him. He responded to a crazy call of God to leave everything and to go to an unknown place. He just was called to go out, to uproot, and just set out to this place, and eventually God will let him know that he's there. But he doesn't exactly know where. That's an evidence of faith. That's an evidence of trusting God. Abraham was not perfect. He was not perfect by any means. But he walked and lived by faith and obedience. And he responded to God's teaching. As Abraham believed, he followed God. So salvation, our salvation that is secure, that is complete, is not just about eternal hope. But man, praise God, it is about that. 
But it's not just about that. It's about our following Jesus because we trust Him, because we believe God. We trust God. The life of faith is so much more than just living out the letter of the law or waiting for eternity. That's what we're being called to here in this promise and purpose. Because Jesus came, because He lived perfectly and lived perfect, a perfect life worthy of being our atoning sacrifice, because He died and rose again, we have life, we are justified, we are saved. We were created by God in His image, out of love, for His glory, and we were meant to live in fellowship with Him. That was fractured. Jesus accomplished the work of restoring that relationship. So we rest in His completed work, and then we are to work to be a blessing to all around us, to all around us, uh, to those that are all around us in ways that, that show the tangible love of God and strives to proclaim the truths of how Jesus saves and restores. And that, that's the life of obedience. So let us, let us rest in Him and let us work while we rest. Let me pray for us. God, I, as I think on that promise, Lord, that we can rest in your completed work, I just pray, Lord, for, for just peace, for peace of hearts and minds for those who have called on Christ. And Lord, I also pray in the next breath for courage and boldness, Lord, because of that security, Lord, that we are sealed and we've been given a sign in our lives. Christ. And I, I pray for those who, you know, who, who don't know where they stand with Jesus, don't know if they believe or just know they don't believe. I, I pray, Lord, that right now, Lord, your love and grace would be revealed to them, that they would hear um, the invitation. They would hear the promise, Lord, that, that although you created us as a holy one to be like you, and Lord, we did fall and sin against you, and you do require that very holiness for us to be in your presence once again. Lord, it wasn't something that you demanded we attain. Lord, you knew that we could not. So at great expense to yourself, you came down. You took on flesh in giving us your son. Not just in life, but also in death, that we could be saved. Lord, in his resurrection, we have new life. And so, God, I pray that there would be a rest in your work, but then in the next breath as well, there would be this movement, or this movement to a life unto you, a life that expresses the joy of surrender, the joy of obedience, Lord, and the, in, in a, in the joy of a life that calls people to you. So, Lord, I pray that the work we do would not be a work to attain or sustain our salvation, that we would surrender and trust that to Jesus, but the work that we do would be the work of calling all to that hope. Lord, let us not think that we have breath for any other reason. So God, we love you. We give you our days where we need your grace because I know that our tendency is going to want to be to hear this and nod our heads and then go out and get to work to make sure that we do enough. Um, so, Lord, use this word, um, use this time, help us to, 
to call each other to truth and to grace and the world to salvation in Christ. So Lord, we love you, God. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If somehow you weren't paying attention this morning, you missed some incredible news. Um, this was truly the, the foundation. Uh, this is what everybody needs to hear. Whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're not a follower of Christ, um, a worthiness before God has been bought. It's a free gift given through faith. Um, hear these words that David said and Paul echoed. He said, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's not that the sin didn't happen, but for some reason...